0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a... mm, Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash The Athletic. Hello, and welcome to the
1: TFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine, and I'm now delighted to be joined by JJ Bull the Bullet. Hi, Joe. Hey, JJ. How's it going?
2: Pretty good. Yeah, I feel good. Yeah. Sad,
1: sad day. Well, it is a sad, sad day for Seb Stafford Blaw, too, who joins us now also. Welcome back, Seb.
3: Thanks for having me, Joe.
1: How were your journeys around the world while you were away?
3: Many and extravagant. Mm. They were instructive. I learned a lot, yeah. saw a lot of different stuff, filled my Instagram account.
1: Yeah. I'm back. Did That's you score nice. any penalties when you were away?
3: No. Yeah. No. No, no, no. 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 Well,
1: no. Anyway. No. Well, anyway. We're going to talk today about England-Italy. It's a jubilant mood. (laughs) There's lots to talk about. It was an interesting game, football. Some to analyse, some to discuss, some to reflect. Some hope in here, and lots and lots of pain. Uh, But if you like hope and you don't like pain, then you should visit The Athletic, because I tell you what, there's a lot of hope there. (laughs) Hope that you'll read something excellent every morning that you wake up, and indeed the evening. (laughs) Because sometimes they put stuff out late to, for the US audience. So there's the evenings too. Uh, and no pain, because you'll never sit through it reading something and thinking, oh, I'm in pain from this. It just won't happen. Uh, not with writers like David Ornstein and uh, Amy Lawrence and James Horncastle, Carl Anker and- uh, George Colkin. George Colkin, of course. Fabulous writer. Well, I think, I think George weaves pain into his pieces, but it's, it won't cause you pain.
3: But it kind of makes you happy, just- in a kind of melancholic way well just a, it's a softer kind of pain it's, sure it's a, it's, it's a warmer kind of it's pain. it's a less painful pain it's a, yeah. just a, a softer misery
1: it's a choice pain a choice it, cut of pain he's a
3: newcastle fan george so he knows how to he knows yeah. how to deliver yeah unhappiness well if you want ha- unhappiness delivered to you <laughs> Mis- <laughs> misery but with a smile i
1: tell you what there'll be there's been some amazing pieces written uh, throughout the course of the euros and one of the great things about The Athletic is it's a record on uh, transfers too. We've got some top top reporters out there who uh, get all the news and, and, and then we've got lots of fantastic writers who do all the analysis too. So uh, I believe today is the final day. In fact, uh, no, it's not because this will be out tomorrow on the podcast. Mm. You can now get a 30-day free trial. Hey, for the transfer season, why don't you try it out for free? I'm sure you'll enjoy it. It's theathletic.com forward slash Devo. There we go. There we go. And right.
3: You know, first place to break the uh, the Jayden Sancho transfer.
1: The adverts finished now.
3: Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's just how strong I feel about it, though. Like well, it's just, sure. you know, I'm just backing up. Yeah. Emphasizing. There we go. I think it's because you don't want to talk about what we're going to talk think, about now. It's because I've been in the gulag and I'm trying to make up for it. Sure. By cramming as much of myself into the podcast, I'm trying to just, you know, I'm overcompensating. Yeah.
1: Okay. Cram a little closer to the mic.
3: I shall do. There we go. So bring the mic closer to me. Okay.
1: Right. Well, now it's time to talk about Italy, lifting the trophy, England, uh, close seconds, of course, close seconds there, uh, a fascinating game, some individual uh, performances of, of wonder that we can discuss, uh, and a reflection on Euro 2020 as a whole. With J.J. Bull and Seb Stafford-Bloor, I leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of lots and lots of pain... Where else to begin, Seb, then with uh, heartbreaking penalties. Um, and we can come to how it, how it got to penalties a little bit later, but uh, the penalties themselves, um, something left to be desired. Mainly, I just feel sorry for the players that missed at this
3: moment. Yeah, and also, I remember thinking, uh, I, I suspected that the players who missed would miss, I think. And I think it's really, really important to remember these are very young people. And yeah. this is an age where people overreact on social media because of the tiniest stuff and they say terrible things and it's just a a terrible thing. It's also, if you look back at sort of who's missed penalties in the past for England, um, that stays with them. They, they kind of weave themselves into the footballing tapestry of the nation. And it's a very, very difficult thing to escape. And so, it's still the main thing
1: about Gareth Southgate. It is <laughs> still the main thing about
3: Gareth Southgate and it's 25 years later. Just Also, Pekai Saka is a teenager. Mm. Remember that. Um, it, it's difficult because I I remember the first time, this isn't going to be very consoling, I apologise in advance, but I remember the first time I saw England lose on penalties. It was one of the most wounding experiences of my life, just as a fan. Yeah, It's something that when I, when I look back at that game now and I rewatch it, uh, I can, can't even really bear to watch the penalties again. Yeah. So if that's how, and I would have been probably 11 or 12. Um, if that's how I feel times that by many, 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 many hundreds of the people involved, because Mm. that's got to be a, it's a terrible burden and especially at that age. Um, so please just remember that because it's, these are people. Sure, are people.
1: I think there's a good chance that the main penalty I'll remember, uh, JJ, was Harry Maguire's, which appeared to break the camera in the net, which was lovely.
2: Best technique of all of them. Yeah, yeah. I wonder whether they would put him up early because there might not be any data on him taking penalties. So yeah, it's a good way of getting it past the goalkeeper. I don't know which way to dive. I think it's one of the only ways, the only penalties that the goalkeeper didn't go the right way actually. Yeah. It was that one
1: penalty? I think so. As a neutral watching that, what, was it was it enjoyable? Do you find it enjoyable when a final like that goes to penalties? Would you prefer it was finished in, 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 in open play?
2: Uh, I don't really know the answer to that. I think, I just felt really horrible for all the players. It's so nerve wracking. and You know that someone's going to end up with a bit of their life that they don't want to ever have to ever think about. Yeah. Um, just one way to look at it, I suppose. And the game was good. I think England, I don't know, they didn't help themselves, but Italy basically battered them, I would have said. And uh, penalties was just the inevitable thing that was going to happen onto it. And I, I think all the England penalties, I think I, I had a feeling each one that I missed was going to miss. Yeah. Uh Oddly, yeah.
1: They looked... um looked afraid. They did look afraid. They looked afraid and... I mean, um, there's no bigger stage to take penalties on, apart from perhaps the World Cup final, right?
3: I also, am, look, obviously, we're being uh, wise after the fact here, but I always feel... It makes me feel uneasy seeing a player pay, take a penalty when they haven't really had a kick in the game. Mm. Yeah, I don't know what it's like to be a professional footballer. Maybe it makes absolutely no difference, but it makes me feel incredibly nervous just because, you know, it's like you, you've been watching the game for probably more than an hour and a half you may have warmed up on the sideline but you probably haven't had a kick of the ball in a couple of hours Mm. yeah and then you you want the rub of the green really don't you i feel like i want to have a few touches yeah and it's it's really easy to judge there's a million things and you could say oh you know this player should have taken one and uh this player shouldn't have done but ultimately the penalty lineup was what it was england would have had planned it and players who didn't want to take penalties players who don't want to take penalties shouldn't take penalties so that's a pretty good rule if people don't want to take them then that's absolutely fine but don't have a go at the ones that do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think is... Okay. It's rubbish. I've forgotten what this feels like. Mm, yes, it's very somber. Also, this was unlike other England penalty shootouts because ordinarily you get the feeling quite early on that something bad's going to happen, and this time you had the little bit of, ugh, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, I felt extremely confident ahead of the penalty shootout because of our performance against uh, Colombia in the World Cup and because it feels in so many ways, like a very, very different England team to the one that we associate with penalty shootouts of the past. You know, yeah. they're all technically capable players. They've all, you know, many of those players have taken penalties in, in, in big situations too. Rashford took one in the um, in the Europa League final, I'm pretty sure. I thought, he recently. I thought he'd score. Yeah, I thought yeah. he would score too. He scored, he scored that goal. He looked very cold as he did it um, about a month or so ago, maybe five, six weeks ago. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's, I guess it's just... Nerves got to them. And also, I suppose, uh, a word to be said for who I believe has been named player of the tournament, JJ, um, Donnarumma must look very towering when you get in, in front of that goal. He's massive. Yeah.
2: He, he's absolutely huge, I think. I mean, rashford missed the whole goal. Sure. Um, he
1: actually did 90% of the job and then just clicked yep. the post.
2: And then just didn't do the, the bit they needed to do. That would, uh, I
1: guess that's the other one that Donnarumma went the other way for. Uh,
2: um, yes, that, yes, that is correct. And that was the the bits before the shooting of the penalty was very well done the actual shooting of it was not um, and I think Sancho's I don't know just hit an easy height for him to save and then Saka's was unfortunately the worst that was the worst struck but he looked nervous throughout the entire game yeah he um, didn't look I right thought, from the moment he came on did he which no, is a I, shame because he one of the things I
1: associate with him from this tournament or I did uh, you know prior to the final was um, you know I connected him with some of those other young players of the past who appear to show no fear on the on the biggest stages and Uh, But I guess the, yeah, I guess the, the day maybe, maybe got to him a little bit. I'm not sure.
2: Um, Yeah, I think so. I feel, so asking me earlier about what it's like being a neutral watching it. um, I was desperate for him not to take a penalty. Yeah. Absolutely desperate. Um, I feel so sorry for him in particular. I think, so when he came on in the last game, the semi-final he came on, um, when he started, didn't he? He started, And he was, he was clearly really nervous for the first five, 10, 15 minutes, struggled to get into the game. And then after that kind of came into it and was all, was all right. I think he struggled from the minute he came on. This game didn't look like he was quite committing to. It's like he seemed like he wasn't calibrated right for the game. He wasn't quite in the moment. His passes were behind his teammates or too far ahead of them. He wasn't putting the right weight on them. His touch just wasn't with him. It just wasn't his night. I think a really really ruthless manager would maybe have subbed him off earlier and put on another player. But you don't want to do that to, especially it's a good a good player. Such a young player, you don't want to turn down his confidence. But it's the final, and I mean, sometimes you got to be brutal with it. We did that to Grealish in in the last game. Sami, so, mean, I think that was just slightly different. Yeah, it was I, a shape I, thing. I mean, it's it's such a, uh, it's. This is the thing. There was just like first of all, like fair play to him for stepping up and taking a penalty because that is real confidence, uh, or maybe just belief in him. But he, there just something about it. Yeah, yeah the poor boy. Um, yeah, Tottenham was good. You, JJ, because I, I I agree that.
3: For long periods, England were under a lot of pressure. But to me, when I think of England getting battered, I think of that 2012 game against Italy. They also lost penalties yeah. on penalties then. But it was at times during that game, it felt like the two teams were playing different sports. That was the kind of, that was the polo game when he just sat back in his armchair and dictated and England did nothing. Had no mm. control of the ball. Once they lost, if they ever had any momentum in that game, they were just, they were second best for 120 minutes. Whereas tonight, it felt like, they were a better team in probably for the first 35 minutes, maybe. I know Italy outshot them. Italy was certainly better in the second half. But I felt that there was a little bit of um, give and take and a little bit of fluctuation through it. So England, there were points during the game where England did arrest some kind of um, control, I think towards the end of both 90 minutes yeah. and extra time.
2: I, I don't know, I just felt harsh, that's all. Uh, I think the way they controlled it was by, by stopping if they getting through them all the time like I think yeah. so way to, to look at it right so I'm not saying you're doing this either of you two but like you're both England fans and you're both seeing it right now from being gutted and that, was, <laughs> that is do. how I'm saying it imagine yes. imagine you were Italian and you've watched that game right if England hadn't scored that the very first chance of the game they score uh, it went exactly the best possible way it could have done was that Luke Shaw finish which was superb really well worked Chiesa didn't follow his man and so he'd got the overload um, great well done without that chance England didn't do anything they didn't do Anything. They had six shots, five of them were for set pieces, one in open play, and that was the one that Shaw scored. Italy had all of the ball. So they had 65%, it doesn't matter. All I I remember watching. 67, 68, uh, something like that. 65.6, apparently. 65.6. Okay. They had all the ball, they were doing all the question answering. England were just trying to stop them. And it might have been the game plan. So like, as soon as England went ahead, it, I think I said in the room, remember when they did against that against Germany early in the semi-final. And sure enough, they start dropping off way too early. It wasn't in the first half, but it was way too early to drop off. Mm. Did it in the semi-final as well, dropping off far too early, far too deep. And you invite the pressure. And Italy kept making changes, little tactical tweaks here and there and just to try and get around them. And eventually they did. Mm. Bernucci scored that <clears> goal. But I think if you're watching it from an Italy point of view, I think they would have felt like they had that game. They just couldn't quite... Down a team that's defending, and if you might think of the Premier League, when you watch a team like that, that would be like Man City playing against a bad team. That's like them playing against I feel it's West more like
3: Arsenal. Like, sort of, do you remember the um, the latter Wenger years when you with the, the sterile possession? Yeah, like I wouldn't say they're quite Man City because I felt like if I was an Italy fan, I would have thought, yeah, we've got control of the ball and we are doing quite a lot they with it. They didn't but have a good game, they didn't really create. I mean, I, I, I think I remember the. Um, Pickford made one really good save from Chiesa and mm. he made a good save before the equaliser. Chiesa dragged re- that one wide. Yeah, but Chiesa I don't remember. I don't remember beyond our kind of natural anxiety. I don't remember too many chances. If you think, oh, yeah. we've been carved open there. Like I, I agree with you. England were passive, and I yeah. felt like at times England didn't help themselves, and it felt like an England game I've been watching all my life, where you get. An advantage in a game or you get an unequal footing in a game and you back off and you back off and you start worrying about what you're losing rather than what you can gain.
1: We've yep. always said though throughout the tournament that the, the time the result goes against England, that's might that is what it might feel like. I'm not yeah. I I do think they set off more than they did in other games, but I don't think it was a real departure from from the type of performances they mm-hmm. had against England. No, but I think it's a better
2: team. And I think that's, that's the thing that you've seen here. I think England are better than the maybe thought in that game I think they defended far too deep they didn't threaten enough at all I don't think Southgate made the substitutions early enough with players who were clearly knackered I mean they were carrying Kane for the the end of it Mount was done about 60 minutes in um it's all very very easy to say this in hindsight but like the way I saw the game I thought Italy dominated it in the same way that the better teams in the Premier League do against weaker teams who are set up to try and stop them and try Mm. and get them on the break. And I don't think they were even set up to really get them on the break. They weren't able to do very much. Later on, Sterling made some great little runs and that was driving them forward. I a would bit.
1: see it, if you're going to use that analogy, I would see it more as a Man City-Chelsea type affair rather than a Man City-Burnley type affair. I, I don't think that's fair at all. I would and say it's mid-table table versus... If we're going mid-tube. to use the analogy of, of Italy being Man City, then they were Man City on the worst day Man City have had the whole Premier League season. They didn't play well. The, the, the Italy's first half, they were awful. They looked worse than they had been at any other point in the whole tournament. They, were, they played badly. They had a lot of the ball yeah. in meaningless areas with meaningless possession. They very infrequently looked like they were going to cut through and score. Chiesa was amazing mm-hmm. and was the player on their team who God, every he time he great. got the ball, I was he terrified was because he, he really was, was the only player that made it look like Italy were going to do anything. Let's not forget, the goal they scored wasn't an open play. It was a set piece. It was a goal mouth scramble. And there were very few other times in the game where they looked like they were going to win. We talk about them dominating the game. I mean, you said, like, uh, I'm angry. You say that seven, seven me are England fans and we're looking at it from our perspective. Why would we look at it from an Italian perspective? Why why would we look at it from an objective perspective? I mean, it was a very even game, Right. The two different styles of the football. Switch for sure. <laughs> the switch is flicked. The switch is flicked. I just don't think it was that uneven. I think I think it was. I, the, I think one-one was a fair outcome for that game. I, Italy were much much better at penalties and therefore deserved to win the tournament. But it, it was an even game, and I think to suggest otherwise is is a. I don't like. I don't go
2: straight off the stats, right? But I mean, I just. I watched the game for a start, yeah. and then I see that Italy had 65% possession. They had 19 shots to six. England's almost all, yeah, apart from We, one, we talked
1: about that at the end of, at the, end of um, the halfway through the second half, we talked about the number of shots that Italy had had versus how many of them had come from 25 yards or further out. So many of them did, right? Sure. The 19 shots isn't, in the same way it has been for Italy throughout most of the tournament, it's not like 19 opportunities to score. It's 19 times they kick the ball at the goal.
2: I think England looked much more nervous. I thought they sat off. I thought they were in pure uncharted territory where they didn't quite seem quite so secure as they were in other games. The XG shows, well, the XG says 1.8 Italy, 0.5 to England. Sure. Which, again, it's a one-off take. can't believe that. Can't really go with that. But that's that's what I saw. That XG is what I saw in the game. And I take your point that it's not as if they were getting six-yard chances all the time but there were little scary moments that happened now and again. There were, there were. There,
1: were. there was the moment where, um, uh, what's his name? Bernard, Bernadeschi mm-hmm. nearly got that header at the oh, near post. Oh, that one he missed that, at the near that post. That really frightened me. Yeah. And then it almost bounced off Pickford rather than it make, him making it. But then it if save. you
2: imagine, if they hadn't scored, I mean, it's if and this and but this bit. Sure. If, Shaw hadn't, if Shaw's, uh, first, Shaw's goal had hit the side netting in the the very first part of the match mm. and the game had gone just like that, you I mean, it could go so many different ways. Um and they had eventually taken the lead. It was held on to it. It would have just been an easy win. Yeah, the, yeah but it the game, would have, get into it.
1: game wouldn't have changed if Short hadn't scored at the beginning. I mean, that's kind of, that isn't if, it. a big if and but conversation. Like, if, I, think, I think in many ways, it was sort of bad that England went ahead so early because they did see a lot of possession. They did sit back more. Let, let's not forget, I, I, I take all your points and I'm obviously... He's uh, rattled. I'm obviously just rattled, right? I'm not directing the CTU, JJ. On, but can I, can I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. England were by far the better team in the first half. Italy showed up, yeah. they looked terrible. They looked nervous. They, lo- they looked like what England looked like at the end of the game, right? Yeah. And uh, England, as I said, were by far the better team in, in, in the first half. I think we shouldn't forget about that. No, and what and about that, that it, though? I, I actually, would say that
2: was largely because Italy didn't... I don't think they played well at all. And then a, a second half, that's I said you have time. I said Italy were going to be much better in the second half, and yeah. they instantly were.
3: They were better. Yeah. I wonder... I think, I think that was the thing that most impressed me about Italy was they were dreadful for half an hour... And yeah, and they clawed it back. On the one hand, we can focus on, I wish England had taken more advantage. And there was there was that feeling that we've seen a couple of times in, in different games in this tournament where there was clearly a uh, a little bit of a uh, shift down in gear. But then Italy made an adjustment whereby, when I mean, we, we noticed a couple of times how easily England were moving through the midfield, but also how much space those, those wing backs had outside. It was mm. crazy. And at, at that point, it looked like there was no way that England weren't going to score two or three times. So the adjustment in-game from Mancini was super impressive. Not smart enough to know what he did, but it stopped happening. And all of a sudden, and I think think that takes quite a lot of mental strength. If you're a player and you're getting battered, and you're getting battered in front of, I'm going to say, 90% um, hostile support, I guess that's probably the ratio roughly uh, of English to Italian fans today. I think it was 6000
1: Italian fans, not So many at all. even it's not even that. It then. might have been 12, 6 or 12. Okay. So
3: you have that and you're able to make the in-game adjustment whereby you're able to steady yourself, return to equilibrium and then you're able by the end of by by the time we reached half time they were Say in control, but they were um the better side by halftime. I at would that say. moment, at that moment, so that's quite a. Um, that's that. that, that that's. that's <laughs> I'm going to fight for every good but thing there's, England did in, kind of, in this like, podcast. That's the hallmark of a team that haven't lost in a really, yeah. really long time, and I, I no, not during the, the actual game because obviously go. to hell with that. But now you think that's where the game gets won because I think when the question gets posed to England, they don't have the same answers. They got yeah. a little bit better. Henson made them a bit better. I thought Saka did quite well in certain moments. I thought that Sterling actually... I I thought Sterling had a a very good game. Um, I thought there were times when he became a little bit of a talisman. He changed the direction Mm of momentum, kind of carrying the ball, taking a foul or two. Mm So we're going to have a little bit of comeback, but not nearly in the same way. And I think that's probably what disappointed me.
1: I think I just want to die on the cliff of fine margins, though. I think think England could have lost any of the other games with the exception of, of the game against Ukraine. Yeah. And this might have been the same kind of reaction that they were too negative in the game or that they didn't create enough. Or, because they've been, you know, if England had lost the Germany game, for example, Germany, if Germany had scored at 70 minutes instead of England, mm. I think this would have been the same kind of reaction. And that, that's, all, that's all I'm kind of trying to cling on to in this moment is that it is a game of fine margins. I don't think, I think it fairly went to penalties. I don't think it would I don't think it would have been a perfect I don't totally think Italy did Italy enough to win, to win, win the game in, outright. Like yeah, I that's what I, I, mean.
3: I felt like if someone was going to win that game, it probably would have been Italy. Sure. But I, I don't think they created enough. I don't think they were bold enough in normal yeah. or extra time. They didn't commit enough to win the game. It, but, it
1: deserved penalties and Italy deserves a win Italy. Hey, They're better at it. Yeah. So fair enough. Uh, that's all I'll I don't, I I don't have That's any, all I mean.
3: Yeah, I don't have any quarrel with Italy winning because I think they probably deserve to sure. over the course of the game. I just um there were times where I don't think, compared with other England performances, which I've seen in the past, which have been so dispiriting, where you think you take nothing positive from this because it, there would be times where, with penalties especially, where it's just been an agonizing struggle to the end of the game, where you think there is just no chance of England winning this game other than with the not lottery, but with the kind of the. Slight round. Well, they had the best
1: of, of the second half of extra time for sure.
3: They did, which is kind of different to what I remember in 2006 against Portugal, 2004 against Portugal, um, probably mm. uh, 2012 against Italy. They were dreadful for 120 <laughs> Say <minutes. more> days. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's, it's, um it was better. And they were, yeah. I feel happy about this team. I also feel happy about where this team is going. Um, and I don't think that's a false positive. I think it's very fair. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, oh, it's gutting. I've forgotten what it feels like. You know, the that to have the you get to, you get to the end of extra time, and it's agonising because the tension is horrible. And you think mm. I'm kind of just I'm kind of glad that this this has a definitive endpoint now. It's like yeah. when you know a program is ending or like a scary film. You think oh, this has got to sort itself out within 15 minutes. And for better yeah. or worse, that's probably a good thing. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. You were not. Yeah. We we ate at half time and that was a mistake. That no, was a big we mistake. all ate too quickly <laughs> and we all felt a bit sick. I got some wicked indigestion for like 20 minutes in the second half. I genuinely kept thinking, my, my heart has to slow down or I'm <laughs> going to the hospital. You, no, know. No, no, you were not in a good place. No. But it, it was, um, oh, it's a horrible cold feeling. It's a... Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it does feel a little bit like your blood runs cold.
1: It's horrible. But well, let, let, let's, let's increase that by talking about fantastic Italian players like Federico Chiesa, JJ, who was just exceptional. He, for me, he was Italy's big game player. And, and we saw that for him, uh, for Juventus in the, in the Champions League this season too. We've seen him um, start to star and shine more as the tournament's gone on. He wasn't the first choice at the beginning of the tournament. He's very clearly the first choice by the end. And it was a shame to see him go off too.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure what happened to him. Injured seemed to be his foot got stood yeah. or something. Uh, one of Italy's more direct players. Yeah, So he, he, was, he was meant to be the starter before the tournament started, but Berardi get in. Um, likes him, apparently. And uh, he took his chance. He's clearly like a big game player, as much as, you know, it sounds a bit... Mm. Blah, I he's, I know, I know. he's just well he up for it, clearly. Is. he's got the right mentality for it. He's got yeah. that mad uh, winner's... He's got the chaos element. Yeah, yeah, he creates chaos, exactly, he's exactly, we talked about this, this is the kind of thing that he didn't want to play against was this, and I mean- Do you think that comes from having a dad who played the game professionally? uh, I've always thought, like,
3: you kind of have a little bit of entitlement whereby, whenever I've seen him play, even when he was at Fiorentina, and I saw him play um, for for the Italian under-21s a few years ago, and he just loves it, he's like, whenever there's a big moment in the game, he's got the shoulders for it, and that might just be a, a personality trait unique to him. But I wonder if you grow up with a dad who's a star, because Enrico Chiesa was a star of the game. And if you grew up around presumably other players at Palmer when 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 he was a young boy, I wonder whether that equips you with something when you were an adult and when you were a pro yourself. It's a theory. I don't know if it has any weight whatsoever. But it just it's what I it's what I'm left thinking about every time I watch him play. Just he's born to do it.
2: I don't know, because I think it's just down to the individual person. Yeah, I don't maybe. know. It's probably not fair to compare all these players to their dads and what they come up with. Because then, I don't this... mean like the technical sense. Like I, I just. Mean, oh no! I mean, surely the, the mentality. It helps
3: you when you like. It feels like it's part of the conditioning for being a professional. Sometimes with him, I yeah. don't think that theory stacks up with pretty much any other father-son combination I've watched. But it's I don't know. Just it's it's what I'm left with every time I see it. A
2: lot of elite level elite, elite level players have to overcome adversity. Whether it's um, someone like I mean Ronaldo has got his own personal issues that he's had to come up with as through his youth and going through and then Messi moved like probably quite traumatic moving from Argentina when you're very young yeah. to Spain and then you have to deal with that sort of
3: being small as well and he had to yeah. have growth hormones I mean and but he,
2: well. he said in his book he just says he cried and cried and cried and moved yes. to La Masia when he was young because yeah. he came from a small little village from wine country or something like that um so I, I don't know it, it, how do you how do you foster the conditions I mean has Enrico Chiesa tried to create the environment to try and turn his boy into a footballer? Or is it just that the way this guy's grown up has lent itself perfectly to being a footballer? He's got technical ability. That not, doesn't necessarily come through genes, but it comes through practice and natural talent. And Hey, I, well, it's the it's
1: the attitude for me. I know he's yeah. got the technical ability, but it, it, it's the way every time he gets the ball, you you watch him and he looks where he wants to go and then he goes there. And it doesn't really matter happen, who's in yeah. his way. It doesn't matter how many players there are, yeah. what kind of obstacles there are. That's his aim. And he's sort of one of those players where it's not even that difficult to read what he's going to do. You just can't stop him from doing
2: it. Uh, yeah. I mean, one of the things that, I mean, he he was not, he was at fault for the, for the England goal. He could argue that he was because he should have tracked Shaw. Mm. And Mancini went uh, crazy at him about 10, 15 minutes in. And it was like, you should be, you have to be doing this. And a little tactical change I think Italy made was the 4 3 3 became a 4 1 4 1, which is essentially the same thing. But the wide forwards just have a, a deeper starting position. Because what was happening was that England, would, one of the centre-backs would get the ball and then the wing-backs would push up immediately and then Walker, or, uh, sorry, not Walker, Maguire or Stones would stride forward about 10 yards and then fire a ball through the midfield into the, normally like that Kane, mm. who would then turn and automatically have a, a wing-back on the overlap and that's how they're getting in. But as soon as, and then that would mean that the midfield three, one of them would have to pull out wide to that area because there was space to their, say the left-sided centre midfielder would have to come out to the left And just splits the way the team is. It it splits the shape. 4-1-4-1 suddenly means that Jorginho's blocking the the ball into the false nine. He's just in that position always in that strata. And then you've got uh, a a four in front of him who's just blocking that part of the pitch. It's more of a block. That's the kind of change I think they made. And then in the second half, uh, they did this uh, in the last game they played against Spain in the second half. was that uh, you'll notice that Chiellini came right out to left-back and was striding into midfield an awful lot more. They were just took the game to England, they just yeah. taken it to them, managing the game, and had them squeezed in. And Chiellini was going wide left, which meant Emerson had a, a much higher starting point. Because he doesn't read the transitions quite as well as I think Spinazzola has done in the tournament. And that's how they were able to get more players forward there. So they are they were still doing the fluid switching of system mid-game. But that's something, something that seemed to work. And then Chiesa was always ready to, to launch. Started on the right. He's... Finished the game on the left, I think he was playing, and that's when he was cutting yeah. in and getting real, causing real down danger. On the left when he got injured, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. when a lot of Italy's real threat kind of went down. I thought Immobile was really, it had a really off game; just wasn't on it. Today he was. At all. He was
3: so poor. I was so disappointed. Not at the time, again, but I. Well, I tell you what, come back and tell
1: me about your immobile related disappointment after the break. After the break.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more.
3: And we're back from the break. Look at that. It was a lovely break, wasn't it? Tell me about Immobile, sir. I just think at his best he's a fantastic finisher and we just haven't seen any of that in this tournament and it's a shame because if you if you added up that front three so say you put in Insigne and Chiesa and you put Immobile as the nine god that would be a good team if all of those players are on form at the same time not only would they be very very effective they'd be so watchable be so entertaining and Immobile hasn't really turned up he hasn't he's looked like He's looked like the player he was at British Dortmund rather than the one he has been for quite a few years at Lazio, which is a real shame because I, it'll probably be his last chance in a major tournament uh, no. because of his age now. But um, I suppose he goes home with a winner's medal. It could be a lot worse. I mean, could it did win could it. be yeah. worse. I think it's okay. <laughs> his last chance. He'll be fine. But I, I just it. mean to show the best of himself. That's all. Sure.
1: Sure. Okay. Well, speaking of Shaw, can we talk about Luke Shaw for a minute? Mm-hmm. Because he was fantastic, wasn't he? Outstanding. JJ?
2: Yeah. Um, I'd I,
1: I say along with Sterling, England's player of the tournament, right? Just behind, uh, just lagging behind ever so slightly.
2: Yeah, I'd say so. I think Harry Maguire would be in there as well. Yeah. He was excellent. Um, all, the, all the
1: lads in there. Everyone's in there. All the lads? It's all fine. Everyone's in there for the best.
2: Pick for his best game as well. Yeah. it was. I mean, of the tournament, I would have said... Well, he saved the penalty you would not have
1: expected to be saved. Jorginho. was the player. I I knew he'd save that, weirdly. Because
2: we were talking about this as well before. In the Premier League, he's come close twice. He's figured out how to do it. He waits to the very last second and then just goes.
3: I wonder, with Luke Shaw, I think, because so much of his recent past has been consumed by that weird relationship with Jose Mourinho, people forget how bad that injury was he suffered in in, in Holland. Apparently, he came pretty close to having his leg amputated as a result of it. And he's come back from that to, um, we won't get into the Mourinho thing, but I've got some pretty fierce opinions about the way he was treated by him and is still being, apparently, because he's still um, chirping on the radio about that. And he's come back to be a, I'd argue, one of his country's most influential players in international tournament. And I think yeah. a couple of years ago, when he first came through, everyone thought Luke Shaw's career would be this, yeah. be this player for England, nailed down, left back, he's starting and he's very, very important.
1: And he's only 25 years old.
3: But go back two years ago, no one would have had him at this tournament because yeah. his career was in free fall. People yeah. were talking about him going to, leaving and going to Spurs. Yeah. You know, like it, that. that's that's sort of how how, how low his stock had fallen. Um, <laughs> I can say, I'm allowed to say, it. I it's okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm taking ownership of this. Yeah, uh, It's a wonderful story to see a player reclaim his potential like that. I know yeah. it didn't end great for him, but... I think he's one of the, the, the England players that comes out of it just with his reputation bolstered. And yeah, he's, he's been absolutely brilliant. And also not just in a simple left back gets forward way. Like how many times we've seen him in central positions or making critical interventions. His defending has yeah. improved an awful lot. Like his all-round footballing ability. The thing about his goal, great finish, great run, all that kind of stuff. If you trace that move back right to the beginning and you see where he first touches the ball that's an area where i think a player short on confidence just says well, i'm knocking it 50 yards down the line i'm not taking a risk with it i'm going to put it into space and he actually plays his way out of trouble and that's how the ball ends up getting to kane and eventually back to him and yeah, so it's a lovely yeah. moment um shame it won't count for much but he's he's had a great tournament three assists one of- and one goal
1: no jj uh,
2: yeah i'd say t- technically he's one of england's best players like he's i mean i'm talking about technical ability of players like Jadon Sancho, clearly incredible with the ball. Phil Foden's amazing. Uh, Luke Shaw's first touch is superb. It's funny though, is he's quite
1: stocky, so he looks like he's always going to bounce off him, but it, it never does.
2: No, his first touch is amazing. I think you saw, like, one of the things I've said about Jordan Henderson before is that his technique lets him down often. Like, he'll try something that he knows he can do, but he doesn't execute it perfectly every single time. Whereas Luke Shaw seems to. Like mm. like his there there's a couple of passes Jordan Henderson put out today. Um he did it in the semi-final of the World Cup. I remember him doing it to the difference in quality between him and Modric. And to be clear, I think Jordan Henderson's a really important player for not you mean there's players are important for more than just their technical abilities. Mm-hmm. The other things they bring, drive, determination, positional knowledge, stuff like that. Sure. Uh but Shaw stands out and then he becomes almost like a technical leader because that confidence in his ability and touch must pass on to other players who then can just be a lot of things England did today, they, didn't, they weren't playing uh, bravely enough, I would say, with the ball. They weren't really being aggressive enough with it. They weren't making those kind of forward risky passes that they could have done in the past. Because they're scared of what they're doing. They're playing against Italy mm. entirely entirely uh, allowed for. I think Phillips was really good, but it's just, just something about it didn't quite work. But Shaw was one of the ones who was making things happen with the ball and was trying it and it worked him.
1: Yeah. I was gonna ask you about Calvin Phillips because I think of the of the players from the first half, when England did seem to have the the upper hand at least, it was uh it was Calvin Phillips and Luke Shaw who were making those, you know, mm-hmm. more direct passes. It felt like at times England were able to pass straight through the middle of the Italian midfield, breaking that, one or two lines it. at a time. Um and Calvin Phillips did that very, very regularly. Also, it's lovely to see him receive the ball in the middle of three players. Again it's a fantastic first touch it sort of sticks to his feet he always seems to be calm and know what to do know when to take risks and know when not to you can really you know not to do a I don't want to do a thing where I take him away from Leeds obviously but when I watch a player like that in the middle of that England team you could see him in the middle of almost any team in the world that's why I said almost
3: yeah I when I look at him am I being too romantic you don't think so I th- I, I, I think you might be I, I I certainly have a higher opinion of him than I did when the tournament started. Yeah. I thought he had a great tournament. I think he could, uh, I think he could have a home uh, in the Premier League's top eight, but I think he could have it with Leeds. I think Leeds are doing some interesting transfer stuff sure. this season, this off season even. But when I look at him, I think of, uh, it's quite an old fashioned idea, but I think of the effect of coaching because if you, some great articles on the Athletic actually about this, and it's not, <laughs> that's not a part of the advert generally um, about how, Marcelo Bielsa paid him special attention. He was really strict on things like his weight and his nutrition. Bielsa does a thing apparently where every, 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 before every match day, he has a little 15-minute meeting with every player in his, in his first team squad. And with Calvin Phillips, when he first inherited Phillips, he used to have two with him because he was kind of that dedicated to the idea of creating him a mm. proper player. And if you th- think of where he's come from, so when Bielsa arrived at Leeds, they were a very, very ordinary championship side and calvin phillips wasn't really getting into it yeah and the first game i ever saw uh bielsa coach was away at swansea I was there that night and he took calvin phillips off i don't remember when but it was in the first half an absolutely brutal moment for any player and if you look at the ground he's made up it wasn't a question of yeah there's just this amazing talent at leeds who's good one one day going to be a premier league player not like that at all He's developed and grown and adapted to his coach. And it's just, it's the perfect coaching story. And it's just, it's fascinating to see. I love a player who, I love a player who surprises you, who turns up and gives a performance, which might just be a little bit better than you thought he was capable of giving, mm. but which isn't just, oh yeah, that's what this player does because he does X well and Y badly and said he doesn't ever do. With Calvin Phillips, you've, you learn a little bit more every time you watch him. I think he's a very good player. I like, thought go he overboard. was amazing. I, I'm... He was good
1: today, really good today. Um, I could see him in one of those top six sides. Again, not to say he should leave Leeds. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just I'm just trying to use this as, as a comparison for his quality. I, I could see him
3: in one of those sides. Yeah, I Am mean, I crazy? I, I could see him. Depends which of those sides you're thinking of because there are three that are good and there are three that don't know. Or well, you've probably got... You couldn't you
1: couldn't see him playing for Man City, for example. Wouldn't he, wouldn't he fit well into Pep Guardiola's system as a as a player who plays for Actually, Leeds and Bills and that's not, and bad now, that's I not mean, a bad. Shout. That's is that is that that's not mad, is it?
3: I don't think he's. What I'd say is, I think he could do it. Yeah. I don't think he he would be a transformative presence in that environment. Like I I think he would have something to add. Um. I just don't think. Sure. I mean, there's some big shoes you're filling because Fernandinho even now is such an influential player. Like you, you're putting him in there. I, I don't think I'd pick him ahead Too of Rodri though, wouldn't he? I, oh, I think Rodri's quite a good player.
1: Yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> you said that to me like my pet. has gone that to that. the pet farm. <laughs> Explain to me why. I, I'm perfectly willing to be wrong. <laughs> I, I've just I've watched him in this tournament. Maybe it's just because he's he's so you know different for an England mid central midfielder that I'm used to, and that he's played well in games that England have, have dominated. I just think he looks so cool and calm on the ball mm-hmm. and. His first touch is brilliant. He re- he rarely looks rattled. He's got a bit of a snap in him when you want him to get forward and make a tackle. He seems to know when to go and when not to go. I mean, I don't know. What's what's why
2: not? Uh, I'm trying to work out why I think it is. I th- I think he's just is it, is it just he's just not good enough. He's not top tier. Right. He's done done really well for England. I was particularly impressed with him tonight as well. I think in the, in the tournament, he's been good. Um, but like. If you're talking about a team that's going to win Champions Leagues and titles, would you have a like, see, it's I know it's not a choice, but would you have Luka Modric or would you have Calvin Phillips? Who's the better player? Clearly, Modric. Yeah, but
1: I'm not saying. I know, but i trying, trying to take first in the tier with Modric. That's and... the, yeah, the tier. That's the tier. No, no, no tier Modric is needs. the top of that tier. But that's what you're aiming for, it you, you that like that, that, Your retort cannot be, "Is he better than the best player in the world in that position?" All right. Position. Okay, let's. Oh, try after after that, that, we have is, to scale no. it down
3: just because Modric. Modric is a rare player. He's also Ballon d'Or winning. So
1: unbelievable. I mean,
3: best player I've ever seen in real life. Modric. Think about the teams that I'm talking. about. About, okay. right?
1: Those super league air quotes teams uh, and the players that are in those positions, you would if you wouldn't pick him ahead of, of. I know he's a different player to Rodri, but if you wouldn't pick him ahead of Rodri, I that's t- okay. I tell, you, I tell you what's I'm a good curious. comparison.
3: Like I wouldn't put him anywhere near the category that Sergio Busquets occupied when he was at his best.
1: I mean, you've done exactly the same thing. No, no, because because I
3: feel like that's a fairer level. Like I, I think Busquets is a brilliant so player. I don't think he's. But then, who who are we putting he played with? I mean,
1: similarly, he was the best in the world. I'm not saying Calvin Phillips is the best deep line midfielder <laughs> yes, in you the are. world. That's not what I'm saying. I'm right. saying he he's he's better than Fred, isn't he? I mean, diff- I don't just uh, pick, a, pick on Fred specifically, but like yeah, I different mean, to Fred. Yeah, no, I know he's different. I'm yeah. just this is why this is why I didn't pick Man United as an example before because he doesn't doesn't really I, suit the way that they play. But the, 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 the,
3: I mean, you know, I wouldn't. I I'm not sure if this is controversial. I'm not sure if this is my bias. I, I'm not sure I pick him over Hoiberg. Okay, well that's an interesting. That's an interesting. I one. think Hoiberg's a better player than we than I've given him credit for. Like he's really grown on me. I've seen a different side of his game during this tournament, and I think he's a better all-round player. Okay. I think there's a bit more to him, but that's I, a good I, I, isn't it? It's, it's okay. I, I really Would you put like him ahead of Hoiberg?
2: I would have Heuberg ahead of him. Yeah, yeah. Thinking, okay. Like, I, I, it's really hard to I talk can, about. I can about accept that. No, no, no. Sound like I'm saying and um, Phillips isn't a good player. No, no, no. But that's, like that's Rodri not, at Man yeah, City no would definitely so. be ahead of him. Fernandinho will be ahead sure. of him in, mid, in midfield. And Man United is probably the closest you get to him. But then you're playing. Like if you're playing, I mean, so at Leeds he plays the one behind the four in the midfield. Four, one, four, one is what Leeds play, and he plays yeah. the one mm. where he dictates where he can ping the ball left, right, sit down, it's what he, he wants to do. But England, he's not. He's done that occasionally when he drops into the role. Mm. He can do a bit of everything, but there's still, I don't know, there's just some, how do I explain There's no, like, it's just not, (laughs) no. I'll tell you what it
3: is. He doesn't have, there isn't an attribute of his which is genuinely nine out of 10. He's got a couple of eights. He's got a few sevens. He's a really nice player who has exceeded my expectations personally. I just, I think he, I think he exists Somewhere in the middle of the top half of the Premier League table at his best. Okay, which is, I, I don't think we should lose sight of just what an accomplishment that is for him. And what, kind no, of hey, I don't think we need to to no.
1: pander. It. It's fine. Like I, I, this is a good conversation to have. Actually, yeah, because as an England fan watching that team clearly with no ability to understand context i thought he was amazing i'm like I, well, I'm, I w- I'm 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 uh, uh, curious to hear and a little bit surprised but p- p- purely on the basis of my inability to understand football so i imagine if i'm an, incapable of doing that and i
3: think he's one of
1: the best players in the world there might be some other people out there who think it too and now have been
3: told i well i the thing is is that i i think he's one of his players it's really easy to get emotionally invested in because his story is good he seems a really nice kid mm-hmm. um kid, he's in his mid-twenties, but I, I really like the thing with his grandmother. I think there's a humility to him, which is really refreshing. He's got a great story and he's done ever so well and he can be very, very proud of everything he's done in the tournament. It's just that I, I don't, I think I've been guilty of this in the past with England players, that you become invested in the story and you therefore yeah. think... And with players in I would have bought if
1: I was a director of football, I would have bought him. Do you know what I mean? Off the off the back of the This is the tournament. thing, yeah. and this
3: this is this is this is the kind of thing I would do as well, because you sure. fall in love with a player during a very short, intensive period of time. Yeah. And you think you're amazing. And whereas in reality, you probably need to distance yourself a little bit. So maybe it's something we revisit on the podcast in like six months. Sure. You know, when we when settle back into the domestic season. Yeah. God, that starts too soon, doesn't it? That's, mm. no, I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm
2: just nowhere
3: ready for that. A little bit.
0: Learn more at marines.com.
1: We're back from the break. Um, JJ, will you tell me something about Italy? I can't remember anything that's happened and I'm sad, but I feel like we need to talk about Italy more as the deserved champions of the Euros.
2: Yeah. Um, so that means they've not lost 34 games in a row now. Uh, yeah. A bit of context, they are quite good. Mm. They beat Spain, uh, who were, I think Spain would have done Probably more damage to England. Weirdly, had they got through,
1: I was I was worried about potentially facing Spain. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, Mancini's done some sort of incredible job with them. So there's a really great piece in Athletic where it talks about what he was, what Mancini was like at Man City. Sounds incredibly difficult to work with, very demanding, and would just like cancel players' holidays for no reason. They make them train with the like bring them in for training, and then tell them their training was under 19s or. There's a story about um, Jerome Boateng who had to come back from his wife having twins and he, he, he demanded oh. he leave his wife's bedside to come, back and tr- uh, to come back for a game that he put him on the bench, didn't even play I don't think in that game.
3: There's, this, there's a story about how, I don't think this was from the article, I heard it ages ago about how when they lost that cup final against Wigan, there were a couple of Man City players watching it in a hotel somewhere in London who were celebrating together because they knew they were going to be rid of him. Is that right? A couple <laughs> of them really hated him by the end of it, yeah.
2: I mean, it seems to have worked very well with his team, but that's the thing they're trying to draw from a lot of... They, they want to be good with the ball. Italy are very well known for being great out of possession and locking down games and um, winning in that kind of snidey Italian uh Typical way of being great at defending. Catanaccio is the thing you always associate them with, you know, five at the back, you lock it down, don't let anyone in, and you manage just to grab a goal. Whereas this, Italy, were very attacking, pushed very high. You saw how much of the ball they had and how like they were really going at England, who did well to cancel them down. But like I said, I don't think England offered real any real threat. It was a couple of times later on, but that's natural. You're going to get chances in football. It's going to swing down again with the and majority. Tired, so. Exactly, yeah. And they're playing at home and, you know, at Wembley and got all these folks there. Yeah. Um, and Jorginho's been... i see some people saying that maybe he'd been for the Ballon d'Or. That's not happening. But he's been... Jorginho. Yeah, I've, I've read that, yeah. Um, that's... That is, that is uh, the hottest of hot takes. Yeah. But he, I oh, think... In a midfield which contains Verratti. Yeah.
3: Like, I, know, I know Chelsea won the Champions League, but Verratti... Every time you watch him, you think, oh, what a monster of a player you are. He's got mm-hmm. everything. Imagine playing, imagine playing sort of small court football against someone like that. Just does everything well. And also, just a, just probably, one of the players probably kicks your ankles for, for 90 minutes. Just subtly gets away with it again and again and again. Mm. Pushes you in the back. But it then... The ankle grazer. Yeah, but then at, and every time he receives the ball, he's got a beautiful first touch and can pass the ball, and can shoot, can create, can do literally everything you need in a midfielder. Amazing play! Do you know what my favorite thing that Italy did was?
2: No, what was that?
3: It was when Chiellini grabbed the back of
2: was it Saka, Saka grabbed the yeah. back
1: of Saka's shirt and ripped him back about thirty you, meters. You hated that. I hated that. You that Wanted him your, sent off. That I was... Thought that was a red
2: card. And then you said, "Set fire to
1: it." <laughs> <laughs> I I, did. I. Oh, no, I don't remember. That must did. have been in a heated moment. Yeah, you're um, you not happy. No. Okay. Well, there we go. They've won. I don't know what else to say.
3: <laughs> I, on, on the balance of things, I, I really enjoyed a lot of watching, a lot of my Italy watching. Not so much tonight, obviously, but yeah. I felt like... They were fun! In a tournament where we weren't living in England and weren't looking at things from a, through an England prism, Yeah, I think England, Italy's story is pretty amazing, going from where they were, which was yeah. they're an absolute shambles of a national team, playing terrible football and getting knocked out in a playoff by Sweden... To where they are now, um, and I think that's not only obvi- uh, a very obvious and literal transformation, but in style and in habit and the way they play the game,
1: and a redefining too, because this is a team that we associate with being I- excruciatingly defensive, and and yeah. like uh, 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 maybe maybe a shout for a team that won a major tournament without doing what you know England tried to do, without doing what France have done in the past, what, what Portugal have done, what Greece did, and there's an extreme example, back in two thousand and four. They had twenty-seven shots in almost every single game, right? At least that's what I'm going to remember uh, for them from this tournament. It's nice to see an attacking team win, isn't it? Yeah, it is,
3: and I, I like. And, and
1: without one of their most important players.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, to survive the loss of Spinozola is amazing. To, uh, to accommodate Emerson, who I think is, he's fine as a player, but not the kind of player that you typically win sure. a tournament with. And also, when you're replacing a player who's been so influential, that's a Big ask, but I. It's a nice story for for Chiellini to win um, a tournament. Bonucci, eh. you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I. It's a. Also, uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because JJ was talking about Roberto Mancini's past at Manchester City and the way he was viewed, and it's funny, isn't it? Because it, in England, you don't really think of him as as being of that caliber, and yet we spent all night talking about. Really astute tactical changes, mm. really good squad management, and picking the right players and introducing the right players, and doing a lot of the things that England didn't do well. It feels like a little bit of a restoration of his own reputation because at City he was he was the guy that we're talking about, the the guy that a lot of players grew to hate. And I don't remember his Manchester City being that entertaining or that interesting to watch. And yet, I think from an entertainment value, the right team probably won this tournament. So it's um there's a lot of stories, which is good, which is what you want in a tournament. Cheers to Mancino. Well done, Mancino.
1: There he goes. There he goes. What a fine manager. Anyway.
2: It's been a fine podcast.
1: Is there anything else you want to say, JJ?
2: Messi won the Copa. Oh, yeah. That was good. I'm really pleased cool. for him.
3: Hey,
1: Did I read that that was his first major international honour?
2: Correct, yeah. yeah. Whoa. He's, of yeah.
3: he's lost a lot
1: there. It's it, nice yeah. that he got one.
3: So if you, if you can dig out the highlights, there's a... Um, it's not a great game of football, the final, but there's this lovely moment at the end where full-time whistle goes and all the Argentinian players converge on Messi. And he, he just gets swallowed up underneath this huge kind of throng of celebrating players. It's great. It's really moving. It's lovely.
1: Will, they, will Argentina be, uh, be strong candidates oh for, the, for the World Cup? Will I've, I didn't not watch any of the, of the For copper.
3: me, I don't think so at the moment um, because I think Messi is obviously sort of a dwindling force a wonderful player though he still is he's not what he was Di Maria remains Di Maria had quite a good Copa America um Martinez Lothelso yeah they're, they're a good team I don't I would I back this Italy team ahead of them probably uh France as well if they can sort out whatever whatever issue is going on there bit of a strange story that um so yeah maybe they'll be competitive
1: before we finish, Seb, a word for what England did win during this tournament, because it, even though they lost the final, mm. I feel, and even though there were, I mean, we did a, a little pre-match uh, live stream where we talked about this in a bit more depth, uh, some of the events that have occurred around London today. Um, but uh, the England team themselves, the players, the the people who make up that team, it feels like they did a lot more than
3: play football in, in this tournament. Yeah, those players I'm very proud of because I think it's really easy as a footballer not to stand for anything, particularly in European football. It's not the same as U.S. sporting culture where you have a lot of people that stand up for things and who are um, happy to speak and who are eloquent and who are, you know, who stand for things. In English football, that typically hasn't been the case. Where and in this instance, you've seen players speak out against things that have caused them a lot of duress. You know, have created a reaction from some pretty unsavory parts of society Mm. and it would have been very easy for players uh, and Southgate to just say nothing and to 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 accept that kind of yes we will just focus on football um I just got all the admiration in the world for a lot of these guys um what we said earlier about the way the fans behave today it's, it's a little bit of a tragedy because it, it, it I mean, kind what we were saying, yeah, it took a sheen off the
1: day. I mean, like I, this morning before I left the house, I kind of felt yeah, very yeah. positive about it. We'd spent yesterday uh, talking about this, uh, this idea, this notion that uh, that they've sort of done something to change their the association with the England football team in within England, and it was lovely yesterday uh, watching my Twitter feed and seeing uh, photographs of of people of uh, first and second and third generation immigrants in the UK wearing yeah. England shirts yeah. and. Yeah. Saying you know, writing messages such as things that they've always felt complicated about wearing this before, complicated relationships, obviously, understandably so. But something about this tournament has changed. It's something about this team speaks to them. This team is obviously you know people feel more represented than they have done before. Yeah. Um. And that's that's lovely. And then leaving the house today, <laughs> I was very keen when we did the pre-match uh, live stream to try to say that I don't want to sort of give over. Uh, the successes of that element of uh, this tournament and this team to to some of the events of um, do you feel like today.
3: Do you feel a bit conflicted? Because in a way, you I, I couldn't agree more. That I don't want to have to talk about these people because it's the same conversation based around the same actions and the same kind of people behaving the same way again and again and again. Yeah. And you think this shouldn't be the story and we shouldn't dedicate any more time to people that just that play up to this image. Yeah. And yet you have to because you can't, pretend it doesn't happen. So it's really conflicting because I, I got off the tube and, and I, I thought, I actually did it deliberately. I thought I'm going to get off early and I'll walk through central London because it's a really unusual day in England. I've, I've never had this in my lifetime. And I walked through and I, uh, for, know who, for those who know London geography, uh, I got off at Piccadilly Circus and I walked through Leicester Square and down through Covent Garden and to, to our office. And by the time I got here, I was really depressed. It was just you, you encounter so much boorish behaviour and so yeah. much. I don't even know how to describe it, but it just it 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 ruined it a little bit. And it doesn't need to be that way because we've spent all tournament to, with hearing stories about how, like you say, Joe, people feel represented and they feel part of things, and that's so good. And it, England is a really complicated place at the moment.
1: Well, I think I feel like the key difference with this team is that they they've used their own voice. They've yeah. spoken. They've yeah. told people what they, what they stand for and what they don't stand for. And I feel like the nice thing about it is that it's kind of made it for me, at least clearer than it ever, ever has been before. But that this team doesn't represent those
3: people. Yeah. And it feels like there's a bit more of a separation than I has been. I quite like past. that some of those people don't like this team. Yeah. I quite like that. Sure. Because it means it's a, you've taken a stand against something important and, uh, that's a very difficult position to be in. If you're, if you're an England footballer, you're under an awful lot of pressure anyway. You're under a hell of a lot of scrutiny and it's a very difficult position. Uh, if you add in some of the themes that have been openly discussed and stood against, that makes it much, much harder, particularly in mm-hmm. our political climate. And it's, it's what a football team should be. In, uh, I shouldn't say should. It's, what, it's, it's good when a football team performs that function because it sets an example. And I think if you look <sighs> at it from that, perspective as have they set an example absolutely absolutely and that's a great thing well
1: done to them yes indeed there we go Yes, indeed anyway points are really 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 bad jj points are terrible do you know what points are
2: they are very really extremely categorically (laughs) without doubt points are bad
1: Uh, categorically they really are very very bad and i have to say You've just about survived this one, JJ. There was a chance, of course, uh, that uh, JJ, after slipping quite far behind Alex Stewart in first place, could also slip behind Seb into third place. I tell you what, there's a point in it, JJ. You've survived. You've finished the tournament on 114 with your prediction today of 2-1. Italy, not far off, only one point gained. And Seb sliding just in behind you on 115. His prediction was 1-0, of course so he gained the same number of points. I also only gained one point because I said penalties, so I get a minus point, Nice, despite saying nil-nil. And Alex, I believe, said 2-1 England, so only gained a point as well and finished on 99, the Jammy the jammy Dodger. There he goes, just under 100, the centenary. Can we That's move? been set now. That's been set. That's the expectation for the next Euros, another major tournament of this kind of size. If we pab again in the future, if you three and I pab once more... 100 or 99 is the score to beat because I can tell you, even though Alex pretends he doesn't care, he's not going to let you forget that, JJ Ball. He won't. He definitely cares. He does. And
2: well done to him. No,
1: I, no, no, no.
3: Well done won. to the England can we team. We not well find a way no. of, of assessing some kind of <laughs> points addition. I mean, he must have broken some kind of rule at some point. Yeah, I imagine he probably can did. Can we just, let's, let's put a hold on announcing <sighs> the result. Let's have... Our own version of a little bit of a student's inquiry. An inquiry. Students. Stewards. A students Steu- inquiry. No, a student's inquiry, stewards inquiry. Mm-hmm. And let's just let's just go back through. Let's well, well maybe find the extra point in there somewhere. Let's just hold our horse. Are seat. you asking for a recount? I'm asking for a re-examination. A re-examination. A- an inquest. If an I hadn't forgotten
2: about it so many times, I'd have much fewer points. I mean you'd have got like 40 points. You me, no, no, <laughs> no. Not true, yeah. because
1: one of the days that JJ forgot. He earned fewer points from the penalties than he would have done from
3: his honest predictions. If you had forgotten every day to submit your points <laughs> how, would many you have done how many games
1: were there? How many games were there? No, I wouldn't I don't know. know.
3: I can't remember. There was something like there was
1: 51 <laughs> games. So if I'd forgotten every day, 153 points what was the, get? was, I got 131. <laughs> I wasn't that far off. <laughs> Look at me. That means I am 20, uh, 22 points better than you the did default. better
3: than someone who forgot to enter every day. every day. And that's good. That is, that is good.
1: Also, I, 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 I pabbed with my heart. I pabbed with my heart. I put my heart out there. I pabbed on it. You lost and it, and, like,
3: mentally you disintegrated. I was gone by the end of the quarters, yeah. You th- you th- threw in a 7-0 at one point. I threw in
1: a 7-0. I think it, well, that was against Ukraine. I only gained three points on that game. Actually,
3: you did better than me. I gained Actually, many more that,
1: points on you know, many other games. Right, but yeah. uh, what would you say your highlight of PAB has been, JJ? Have you, have, did, you, did you ever have a, a perfect score there?
2: I think I had a couple of perfect scores, yeah. um, which is good. But uh, I don't know if I got the minus points at the time because only minus points happened after it was. I don't think we introduced away. them, yeah. Yeah.
1: But I mean, you would have been on 112 instead.
2: Yeah, I, I think now, real error was forgetting that we were playing the game in the first place a sure. couple, of, a good mm, few times. Sure. And had I not done that and realised that Alex <laughs> was just basically going 1 0 on 2 1, that's the most likely yeah. score statistically.
1: The thing is with Alex, you know, at the beginning of those films where they're trying to show you through cinema, the main character is extremely regimented and uh, doesn't sort of, doesn't shift based on emotion or anything. They wake up, their toothbrushes in the same place every day. They brush for the same number of seconds every day. That's kind of like Alex. He was never going to forget. There was a couple of times where we got excited that maybe he would forget to make his prediction no, and he, he might earn those sweet bonus points. I feel like but no.
3: he was teasing us with that, just sort of. I think so too. He knew, he knew. Well, there we go. Congratulations to Alex
1: Stewart for winning PAB, fair and square. And uh, that's probably it, isn't it? That's, that's Pab done. I hope you enjoyed playing Pab at home. And I should say to those people now who've uh, listened and, and watched with us over the last uh, four or five weeks or so, I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Thanks very much. We've had a lovely time, haven't we? It's been nice to uh, to share such fine football with such fine folks, Eb,
3: Sure has, sure has. I'm very, very happy to be going home, but it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, oh,
1: you talked for a lot less time than I thought you were going to I then. can keep talking. And JJ, I mean, you've yeah. had a great time too, haven't you?
2: I've had a lovely time. <coughs> it's odd that that's over now. The Euros is yeah. done, isn't it? Yeah. Because it feels like there's still more. But now What well, it was life
1: like before?
2: <laughs> I don't remember, really. It's very right. odd.
1: Well, I should say, based on that, what life will be like afterwards, we're going to have a break of about a week from the podcast uh, so we can all recharge and uh, go home, see our families, you know? I think they think I've gone missing completely. But I'll be home. Uh, and then we'll be back uh, after, after the next week, but not in live form for the time being. We will be uh, making a, a real effort to record our podcasts as videos too. So if you prefer to look at our faces while you listen to our voices, you can join us on the TIFO IRL channel, where you will see uh, pre-recorded versions of us doing precisely that, which is nice because it means I won't have the stress of constantly thinking I'm going to say something that I shouldn't say live. That's I can't wait for those yeah. times. They're all going to spill out as soon as the microphone's off. Uh, and uh, other than that, uh, do keep checking out the uh, the TIFO Football YouTube channel. We've got lots of videos going out this week. And uh, some more on uh, TIFO hey, IRL sensible too. Sensible
3: transfers start soon. Everyone sensible
1: transfers start soon. There's yeah. plenty on that. That's where Alex is now. He's at home with his toothbrush uh, working out sensible transfers. And of course, don't forget to visit the Old Red Lion. Not an advert, just letting you know that it's the best place in London to watch the football. Sure is. And there is always more football to watch at the Old Red Lion. On St. John Street in Angel. <laughs> if you head in there, say hi to Uncle Damien from me, and he'll tell you a story about Essex in the 70s, and it will be
3: riveting. I might tell you a ghost story as well. You don't like ghosts, but... I'm know. okay with ghosts.
1: Sometimes. I don't mind the ones at the Old Red Lion. They're okay. kind of fine. There are ghosts, fine. though. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. Anyway, JJ Bull the Bullard, thank you for joining me this month. Thank you, Joe. Oh, we didn't do Player of the Tournament. Oh, Quickly, no. go. One. Pedri. Pedri, you go, go.
3: Mm, Simon Kier
1: okay I'm going to say uh, Raheem Sterling and Luke Shaw there we go that's the end now <laughs> Seb Stafford thank you
3: thank you Joe Devine
1: and of course thanks as usual to our crack production team of Don and Sol and there's Sol's hand there it's a lovely <laughs> hand isn't it right we'll be back <laughs> never again farewell bienvenue Cheers and ciao au revoir and guten Tag, Frau, Frau.
2: Frau, Frau. Frau, Frau. See you later. Thanks for watching, everyone. <coughs>
3: Road on.